So, we're in First John. Really happy. Halfway through, uh, we're in First John three. So, I wrote up there LE five. Does anybody know what LE five means? It means explain it like I'm five. <laughs> and that is what John is doing. It's through repetition, through very easy ways of distinguishing person A from person B. He's explaining everything to you like you're five. He's even thrown in some nice words for you, like, dear little child, this all the time, which means, my little toddler. <laughs> or if you're a Scottish person, my parents. <laughs> Bairns, I whatever. Um, we've been talking about, also in, in 1 John 2, there's some strange and ineffective ways of dealing with sin that John's coming up against here. We talked about that last week a little bit. There was Jephthah's terrible vow. He made this horrible vow that he would give a burnt offering. Uh, to, and, uh, whatever came through the door, if God would, you know, bless him. And it ended up being his daughter. And guess who had to pay for that mistake? His daughter. Why didn't he pay for that we also read a really weird text that I didn't explain until now. That's why you have to come back the next week. Because then I'll explain everything I did last week. Uh, was the Philistines sent a cart with the ark on it and some gold tumors and rats as payment for their sin. Who comes up with this stuff? Pagans. <laughs> yeah, pagans. I mean, very, very confused about what do we do with sin. We talk about revenge, we talk about punishment for crimes, but ultimately we came to what John wanted us to do and it was that Jesus is the payment for sin. Is there any other payment for sin before God? No. Nothing that made for sin except the blood of Jesus. We talked about the division of two different groups. What are what are the groups here that he's defining? We got more people who think the opposite. That is how it works. We need more people. In Christ and Antichrist. Right. The anointed ones and the anti-anointed ones, right? We got the Christians and the people who say they are, but they really aren't. And by the way, if we're talking about Asbury Revival, First John is really all about that. How do we distinguish between what's real and what's real? Um, then the congregation start us off by reading 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Who's got 1 Corinthians 6? A holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. One beautiful picture of the gospel. This is what we were, and this is what we are now. We are chosen people, loyal priesthood. We are for God. John is going to get fired up today about this. And he's going to be jumping back and forth on some of these things, so I'll be jumping back and forth on it. But I'll try to make it easy for you guys. I'm going to start by reading 1 John 2.28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him as coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Alright, so, Jesus is righteous. How do we know we're born of Jesus? Well, we do what they someone born of God, would you? Alright. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are no longer sinners. Something that really annoys me if you call yourself a sinner saved by grace. Are you a sinner? Who in here is a sinner? You were brave. <laughs> no, you're a saint in Christ. That was washed away. Do you still sin sometimes? Yes. But that's not who you are. This is who you are. You are children of God. Now the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dumb question. Is the world going to understand you? Why, why we try? Why do we try to make them understand us? They're not going to understand us. Dear friends, we know that we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So we're going to return to this born of God thing a little bit later in the chapter, but just really drive it home. The world doesn't understand us at all. They, they can seemingly understand mysterious things about the universe. They don't get you. Think you're bigots. Look at, look at us. Look at all these things. close-minded people. They have all these strange ideas about you that they don't really know you at all and don't think that they ever will. But second, where 1 John 3 is, uh, 2 is combating this idea of, of some Gnosticism. So I'm going to, unfortunately, I have to talk about Gnosticism again today. I'm sure John didn't really want to talk about Gnosticism. But this is what it is. So, the Gnostics had this idea that you're uh, your eternal journey to eternal bliss was this, that you would find out things about yourself through meditation and other spiritual practices, and you would eventually um, become one with your twin self, 
Nothing about relationship with God, nothing about praising God, nothing about glorifying Him, nothing about being with His people that we've all been enduring this world with. That's a very selfish thing, just getting bliss forever. The Philadelphia cream cheese forever. <laughs> That's it. What does that sound like, by the way? Being your best self now, you know? What is that? What does that even sound like, right? It's strange. But but we're not going to come to you and say that we know exactly what we're going to be like. That's the Gnostic like obsession. What am I like? What am I really like? Tell me what am I like? I'm find out. I'm find out. Who's my true me? Who's my true identity? Like we're obsessed with this identity thing. That is not us. Our future, we say, it's secure in Christ. We don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like, but we know that we will be with him. And we know that it will be eternal life. There are people who like to fill in the gaps, by the way. Don't listen to People have been in heaven for 45 minutes, or in hell for 14 minutes, whatever it may be. Let's rely on the word of God when we think about what we will be. Um, I'm going to have the men read some passages about kind of how are we like God? Because it says here, we don't know, you know, what we're going to be like, but we know we're going to be like Him. Okay, we can get theoretical real quick on that one. So let's read the word. We've got Genesis 1 for me. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own In the image of God he created. Male and female he created them. That last part is real controversial these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're made in God's image. What does that mean? Does that mean we're gods or something? What, anybody got some clarification for me on what it means that we are made in God's image? some way, but we do not share glory with him at all, you know. Um, who's got Genesis 3? But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not serve with God. Well, you will not serve with God. For God knows that when you eat up of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Alright, so he's being tempted to, or she's being tempted to eat of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, right? Knowledge. Why? Why in Genesis three are we up against this knowledge thing from the very start? Mm. But what is Satan tempting her with? You're going to be like God. I thought you were already like God. You made His image. Is that not enough? Is that not enough to look like Him? No. Now you gotta you gotta know everything. Okay. <laughs> Interesting that that's the first temptation. 
What's that? I said that's interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. So basically not Who's got First Corinthians 15? You do, Steve, who's a lot to read. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, sorry, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your victory? Powerful passage to read on its own, but in this context what we're talking about is how are we like the Lord in some ways, right? And what will we become? This is what Gnostics were struggling with, as they were saying, I'm going to become my best self now, I'm going to have eternal bliss, I'm going to be free from the bounds of this material world. We say something similar, but really they corrupted what was true to us. And the truth is, flesh and blood is not. You're not getting off of this earth with what you've got on right now. You're getting a new body. You're getting one that is like Christ's body. It is going to be spiritual. It won't tire going to cry. It's got a lot of great attributes to it, this new model. <laughs> it's going to be a good trade. Um, but, you know, that's sort of, you want some hope. That's what. Uh, that's a part of what's coming for us. Uh, you got, got 2 Corinthians 3. Yes. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, we are being transformed to the image of ourselves. Is that right? Of our, are we getting better and better at who we are and finding out more about who we are? 
being transformed into the image of Christ. And who is doing that work? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? No. It is the Holy Spirit who does this work in you. So we, we cast off this religious idea, maybe nowadays we call it pop psychology, we cast off this idea that you're going to become your best self now. No. We will become like Christ. That's our goal. We're going to get there on our own. It is the Holy Spirit, and we got to trust in Him to do that work for us. It is anti-religious in so many ways. <laughs> but I love it. So we don't think, we're not going to profess that we know everything about what we're going to be like in heaven. We know that we're going to be like Him, and that's a great encouragement to us. Um, so let's go back to Genesis 1, where we're made in the image of God. What can happen if we devalue the material world, like these Gnostics were devaluing the material world, they thought everything was evil in the material world. How's that? perception of God what else can happen when the material world is evil in your eyes or maybe uh, just doesn't matter that much evolution of the life is not special because it's just coming back to this there's no more uniqueness how about murder Right. Well, it's, it's an indifference. indifference to difference to people. Right. Because it's like just sending you good vibes. That's enough. Right. You abdicate the responsibility. Whatever is around you, there's a problem. So, start with 
plays piano, roaches would come out by the dozens. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So cleanliness versus uncleanliness become, you know, culture and religion externalize. So ultimately, you say that we have, we don't have anything to do with material things. The material things will that the Gnostics had really was that they felt the material world had no bearing on their spirituality. And so then they could come up with these things like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're suffering. Maybe you should be suffering. You know, maybe it's good for you. We're not going to really help you through that. Or if we do, we're going to just send some great energy waves your way, you know. Um, but that, that was it. That was their idea. Um, you can get really horrible if you devalue the human body. Murder, war, it doesn't matter if you don't think the material world matters. So, let's go to first gentleman. Everyone who has this hope in him, we're talking about this eternal life, how we're going to be like him. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay, we're talking about Jesus here. So, he's here. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. What, what an LE5 moment. What an explain it like I'm five moment. Sin is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I'm going to say this to people who don't think sin is bad. Don't think if you do something wrong in a material world, it matters at all. But what you know that he appeared, I'm sorry, but you know that he appeared that he might take away our sins. Sins matter. It mattered to Jesus to take away those sins. In him is no sin. Destroy the devil's work. 
Jesus. He didn't come just for your personal enlightenment to destroy the work of the devil. Okay? Sin, sin was something that was very, very important that he would come against. So the saved do the right thing. They purify themselves. Lawbreakers sin. And those who continue in a pattern of sin, they don't know God. They really don't. Sin is from the devil. Christ destroys the work of the devil. They are diametrically opposed. Okay? Can't live a life of sin and say that you follow Jesus. That's not a problem. Who's got 2 Corinthians 6? Let's talk about being born of God. No one who is born of God's will, or no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot. You know what the Greek for cannot is? It means cannot. <laughs> cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. You are unable to go on living in this pattern of sin. Let that just sink in for a second. Now, he brings up a word here, and I'm going to call attention to it. He says, God's seed remains in him. Now, this word seed was something that was really important to the Gnostics because they believed that you had the seed of divinity in you. They believe that this spark of divinity came from God, and that that's really like the image of God in you, but you have to activate it by you know, meditation and different things like that. Um, it's not intrinsic to you. You have to keep encouraging it and so on and so forth. Um, but for us, it says that we know that we're born of God because we do the right thing. Not because we know a whole lot of stuff, but because we look like Jesus and we can see the outpouring of the Spirit's work on our lives. We can see the evidence of Him saving us. Do you get that? So it's really important for John to call out this seed thing. Like, it's not a bad thing that you have this seed. Now, they thought that if you had this seed and you procreated, that you were continuing the seed of the evil God. John's just going to say, it's actually a good thing to have God's seed. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't be born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. He keeps saying this stuff, doesn't he? Just over and over again. I bet you guys are like, move on. No, because John won't move on, you know? <laughs> like, he's been, you do the right thing, you love your brother, you believe in Jesus, it's all, it's going to keep repeating over and over again. This is the message 
you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Yeah. Alright, so we're born of God, we're not ashamed of that. And due to this birth that we've had, this supernatural birth, we are unable to keep on sinning. Remember last week we were talking about the anointed, uh, the anointing that we have over us. That is the Holy Spirit who comes over you and teaches you all things and he sanctifies you and brings you as a pure bride before Christ on resurrection day, right? But, um, yeah, I mean, we're unable to keep that lifestyle because we're safe. Unable. So yeah, talking about the season. Oh yeah, a great uh, topic for church. We're talking about Alistair Crowley. Anybody know that guy? Yeah, she says with like a terrible voice. So Alistair Crowley was this occult leader and pretty prominent manager and things like that. And what he did was he revised an old Gnostic ritual called the Gnostic Mass, and they mocked us. They mocked God with a mass, kind of like what what we do with the Lord's Supper. And instead of them giving glory to God, they look at themselves, they look at the seed of divinity and say, we are God. That's what, that's what they say during this thing called the Gnostic Mass. So bizarre. I just kind of want to surprise you guys. I've been talking about Gnosticism all this time. It's really Satanism. And it has been from the very beginning. Just, you know, from uh, Genesis 3. It always has been. This idea that knowledge is going to put you above where you are. This idea that those cool spiritual experiences that God did not direct you to. It's not about it. Alright, moving on from Satanism. First uh, John 3, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? I'm going to stop for just a second. Another point on communism. I'm a communist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Call it the sin of envy. Um, <laughs> Gnosticism. Forsakenness. <laughs> the Gnostics love Cain. Isn't that bizarre? They love Esau. They loved everyone who we were taught not to like. The world loves its own. The world loves its own. The world loves its own, yeah. And so what they were thinking was, oh, they were, they were victims of God. They were victims of God because they introduced them to a material world. So they loved Cain. John's coming back and he's saying, don't be like Cain at all. Why would you be like Cain? The Gnostics even believed that if you did everything that the Old Testament told you not to, that you were like thumbing your nose at that evil God. You were doing something good. And so the idea was sin is actually a good thing to do. Isn't this bizarre? They're setting you up to go after Cain. Murderers. You wonder why in our society they put all these nice words around murder. You know? Euthanasia. That sounds like a camp, you know? <laughs> the euthanasia. Abortion. I mean, it sounds like, oh, my mission failed or something, instead of it being murder. You know? They want to play up. Death. Death is their key. Alright, why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be, despot- don't be surprised, my brother, if the world hates you. 
Is the world going to hate us? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're going to be shocked? I still get shocked sometimes, but I really shouldn't. I keep thinking they're logical. You know? have passed from death to life. Do we like death? Is that a good thing for us? Is that something we celebrate? Uh, no. no. From death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Cain's not a great example for us. It is Jesus Christ who's a great example, who took on himself what was our due punishment, right? He is our ideal, not some trickster, not some low life. Can a murderer <laughs> enter the kingdom of God before I keep going because What's he mean there? Can Paul go to heaven and see possibly murder Christians. Huh? Oh yeah? Can Paul go to heaven? Yeah. Or you better believe Yeah. So it's, it's not that somebody who has murdered can never be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's saying someone who, that's their identity, is that they're a murderer, and they just keep on murdering. They're unrepentant after murder. They haven't come back to Christ. That's right. Died to sin, just like... Robert was reading today in Romans 6, right? He died to stand with the rays of Christ. Alright, let's keep going. Alright, 1 John 3. Alright. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Sometimes that does mean being willing to take a bullet. Are you prepared for that, Christian? Sometimes that, it does mean that. Sometimes in the persecuted church it does mean having to face horrible persecution from the authorities to save your brothers. But in this case, he's going to keep on talking about it in a much more accessible way because maybe that's not something you face right now. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? you got these people who are so high in the sky in their spirituality that, that John is talking about, that they're just sending good vibes to you. You know, sending good thoughts to you. And, and they never actually bear out material being. They never give and they support don't let that be us. Alright, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us. Does your heart ever condemn you? you ever feel bad? No, but really, do you ever feel like, I just do not deserve to be here? Why am I even in church today? Maybe when we read through 1 John, you're like, 
this really hurts a lot because he's talking about sin and I got sin that I'm dealing with. You know what's great? Just God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. He knows what's going on in your life. And yet, the free gift of salvation is open. And if you have accepted Jesus, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know, your heart kind of doesn't have any bearing on the matter anymore. It is what God says about you that is true. You are a new creation. You're not the old person anymore. No matter how many echoes of the past come back into your mind, you're not that same person. I've been But it's true, and, and even Paul would come back and say this in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 4, it's like, I don't even judge myself anymore. I, I, just, I let God judge me. I don't let other people judge me, that's for sure. I don't even pass judgment on myself. How do you get to that point where you're living a life that looks like Jesus, and yet you're not obsessed with guilt? Hmm. Do you guys think you need to feel guilty? Anybody in here think that's a good way to feel is that a right way to deal with sin? No, it's not. That is something that God has taken from you by way of Jesus' blood. That's not for us anymore. Don't let your heart condemn you. It doesn't have any authority over you anymore. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Wow! You know, in the Old Testament, if you uh, came to God and you felt confident, there was a chance you'd probably die. <laughs> the very first day that the tabernacle was set up, somebody was over the confident. Hey, Dad, in the back, anybody remember those guys? They were literally toast. <laughs> but they brought something that God never asked for. They were confident. It was a great day. Don't you think that was going to be a great day? It was the dedication of the tabernacle and the glory of God came upon these people. That's something that, that we have not seen with our eyes here. It's blinding light. People just on their faces because they could not stand to be in his presence. And yet these guys were like, you know what? What's missing here is some incense. Strange <laughs> fire. And, it up and they were doing it, and God just killed them in the presence, right? We don't have to fear approaching God. How amazing is that? I hope you didn't get that. You can be confident because of the Spirit in you, because you were sealed with the Spirit. All right. This comes down to what I think is the center of the book, the dead center, the point of the whole book. It says, dear friends, of our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command. Are you ready? This is the whole thing. Believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. Kind of all summed up there, right, right there for you. Believe. Believe, believe in Jesus. If you don't fit into this group that looks like Jesus, you got a belief problem, you need to be believing in Jesus. 
I'm going to um, have some of the men in congregation uh, read from, let's say, Mark 11:24, because we're going to go backwards a little bit to talk about, it says, receive from him anything we ask because we obey his command. Anything we ask? Really? I really want a Ferrari. All right. <laughs> Mark 11:24. Who's got that for us? Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and that will be yours. We've got uh, John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It says basically the same exact thing in John 16, 23. That's kind of what you've heard, right? I think growing up I heard it. Just ask. If you ask hard enough, as if you can ask hard enough. Like, what's the... <laughs> Is there like a meter that I can bring out? Like, I'm almost up to 97%. And I'll get it. Is that what I need? Alright. Who's got James 4 to explain it all for us? James 4. What causes quarrels among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. Well, there's a little clarity, right? <laughs> First of all, you got needs in your life? Bring it before God. It's a command. Pray. Ask. And you'll receive something. Why not be able to do it? With what you need. God's our provider. He's going to help you. Maybe he'll help you through his people. Maybe he'll help you through some other means. But we rely on him. So we can ask him for anything. But if we're asking him for something out of selfish desires, like James 4 is saying, should you expect to receive that? I should hope not. <laughs> Do you really want God to reward you with your selfish desires? Is that where you want to go in life? I don't think so. I don't want to be transformed back into this world. I want him to deny me stuff so that I'm on the right path, you know? Keep that in mind. Alright, so we're going to finish up with verse 24, which is kind of a teaser for next week, and it says, Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. What an amazing picture. God lives in you! That never happened before. Jesus. The Spirit came on people. You ever, you ever go back and read the difference in the language there? The Spirit of the Lord came up upon Came over him. The Spirit was with him. Was never in. Didn't live inside him. It was always a prophecy that the Lord would someday live inside of you. And this church, you are the fulfillment of that prophecy. That God will live inside of you. Do you need Gnosticism? Do you need some more knowledge? Is this not enough to have the living God living in you? I'm content. I'm content with what He's given us. And this is how we know He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. This is the first mention of the Spirit in 1 John, and He's going to keep talking about the Spirit next time.
This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.